So, Father, we do we thank you, Lord, for for the resurrection. We thank you for the reality of what you have done, the incredible thing that you have done. And, uh, Lord, it is our prayer that as we gather together today, that the incredible things that you have done would pass from being intellectual information. We want to pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would open up our eyes and actually see what you did and what your heart is towards us, what your power is towards us. Lord, we want to pray that as we gather together in your name, according to your word, we thank you, you are here in our midst. We welcome you, Jesus. And Lord, we ask you to manifest yourself here in our gathering in power. We want to pray that you would revolutionize our lives because you indeed have done the most amazing thing in going to the cross and rising up out of the grave and being ascended into heaven. And Lord, we pray that that would become a reality to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, kids, here's the question of the day. Here's the beginning, the first question of the day. Do you think that Jesus is more like a lamb or a lion? What would you say? Notice that bunny is not an option. Back there, my friend. A lion. And uh, could, you, could you back that up before I toss this at you? Why? Big. I like it. Here. Help. Wow. This, this might be a little bit more difficult than I thought. Anyway, anyone else? Lamb or lion? Johnny. Lion, why do you think that? Because he's strong. JJ says he's big. big. John David says he's strong. I like it. Now, in the Old Testament, in the, before Jesus came, Jesus came from a people group called the, anybody know? Yeah? Oh, come on now. It's so awkward when the pastor's kid doesn't know. JJ. The Jews, right. Since I already gave you one, I'm not going to do it right now. But say so, yes, he, he came from the Jews. It's just too much sugar. So he came from the Jews, and the Jews had this, this uh, yearly thing that they did. They, had to, they were instructed by God to sacrifice a Passover lamb. And the blood of that lamb was like a, it's like a, it was like a paying the punishment for the punishment, excuse me, of the, of the sins. It kind of was like that. It was like, it was like God was going to punish, but if the blood of the lamb was upon the doorpost of, of people who had sacrificed that lamb, they would be passed over. They would be rescued. They would, they would, God would forego any kind of punishment for them. And so that was on Passover Sunday. And when Jesus died, which he did on what day recently? I mean, Friday, there we go, Good Friday, two days ago. So he was the fulfillment of what they used to celebrate as a Passover lamb. He was the Passover lamb of God. So yes, J.J. and John David, we think of him like a lion, but he's also a lamb. We're not going to understand him as a lion unless we also understand what he did as a lamb, if that makes sense. Now, six to eight hundred years before Jesus came into the earth, there was a man named Isaiah. He was a prophet, and he prophesied about Jesus, some, some very specific things that he would do. And I'm, let me just reference this real quick. Isaiah 53, he says that he was oppressed, Jesus, and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So if I can go back a couple verses, read more of what Isaiah said about Jesus and what he did as a lamb. Check this out. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, 
and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. So what does pierce mean? Anybody know? I'm going to call it, yeah? Yeah, like struck through, right. And how was Jesus pierced? Now, let's bear in mind here. We talk about Jesus, and I know we're in a church and all that kind of stuff, but let's, let's like hear this, okay? Jesus was a historical figure. Regardless of what we believe about him, he was a historical figure who actually really did die on a cross. So Isaiah prophesied about this person we believe is about Jesus. You don't have to, even though you're wrong if you don't. But anyways, you, you don't have to. So Isaiah prophesied about this person who would be pierced for our transgressions. What is a transgression? It's our sins, right. Now, I could ask you to raise your hand if you've ever sinned before. And if you don't put your hand up, I know you're a liar and now you've sinned. So all of us, all of us have sinned. All of us need forgiveness. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was... Um, whoop. My thing went wrong. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. In other words, that brought us peace between God and, and ourselves, the sin that separated us from ourselves. The punishment that would bring peace and reconcile that situation was put on Jesus as a lamb. He was crushed for our iniquities, um, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. How many of you notice that we do go our own way, wandering from God, and we don't know it? And I would dare say that many of us, even church-going believers, oftentimes wander, and we don't even know it. And his response to that situation is that uh, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears. So three things that I want to say. We're going to talk about Jesus' resurrection— I just want to put this lamb thing into context. Jesus sacrificing himself on what we call Good Friday. Putting it into perspective. Three things as a lamb is that he was a savior. So, so or a lamb or a savior. is One is that he was punished for our sins. So he was in this. Remember how I said that there was a Passover lamb. And uh, they sacrificed it annually. That had to be a perfect spotless lamb. In other words, no skin disease, no issues in the hair. It had to be a perfect spotless lamb. And Jesus was the only one who could be sacrificed as a lamb of God because he was the only one who was perfect and spotless. Again, how many of you have sinned? Jesus is the only one who could actually raise his hand, not raise his hand, and, and, and not sin in, in so doing. So he was the only perfect sacrifice, if that is true. We know he died on a cross, the, the man, historical man Jesus— if he was the sacrifice for our sins, that means a whole lot of things about you and me. That means he takes care of us. So not only is he a lamb, but he's also a shepherd. He takes care of us. When we're, when we're going astray, he does what we need that we don't even know we need to do. Now, that sounds great. What does that mean? If he's alive, that means his help is available to us now. And that's his heart. So most of religion tries to portray this Jesus as this guy that wants to make us do his will and make us not do what we want to do, and we don't get to do what we want to do, and if we really love him, we're going to do horrible, boring things like go to church every Sunday. I'm being, just being honest here. And we're going to like have to pray and read the Bible. Like, How boring is that? 
Actually, Jesus wants to have this amazing, powerful, intimate relationship with us, and he wants to lead us. And then thirdly is that his love is independent of our performance. What I mean by that, kids, is that we can't do something to get him to love us anymore. He died for us before any of us even need, knew we needed him to do it. So that's the real, the real picture of who Jesus actually is. But let me ask you this. How many of you would be interested in giving your life to following a lamb? Does that, does that, no, that's very good. That's good on you, Trisha. You, you, you're a good Christian and you want to follow Jesus. That's right, but, but nor ordinarily, the picture of what a lamb is, how many of you, how many of that stirs inside of you a desire to follow that, a lamb? Have you ever seen a lamb before? They're pretty dumb, let's be honest. I'm not calling Jesus dumb, don't get me wrong. This is not sacrilegious here. But then there's this idea of the lion. And uh, Jesus actually is a lion. So let me ask you this. What is the difference, perhaps, kids, between a lamb and a lion? How, how would you, what are some of the differences? You guys are like, I already talked to you. JJ, somebody else, anybody. We'll, we'll, we'll stretch our definition of, of, of child. Jonathan. Do you say more like us? Okay, and not strong, but therefore a lion is stronger. Okay. <laughs> okay. Had a nice little curve on it. Do you notice that? Uh, J- uh, Johnny, but you don't get any more candy. Yeah? No. Okay, I know most of you probably didn't hear. A lamb is kind and soft. A lion is full of energy, always running. I might use the word ferocious. And if you can hear this, because I know that in church we often paint the picture of Jesus, gentle, gentle Jesus, you know, meek and mild. Actually, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is roaring and with authority and has dominion over all things. He alone, alone is the Lord. And the king of kings. And he is reigning with power. And so if he didn't have the love that I just described, I would be a little bit concerned for all of our futures with him in authority. But because we know his love, that power is oh so precious and needed. Okay, so the historical background. Let's just, actually, let's, let's read Revelations chapter 5. So you guys know that there was this guy, John. He was one of the followers of Jesus. He was an apostle. And uh, Story has it, we don't know if it's absolutely true, that they couldn't kill him. And so instead of doing that, they exiled him to an island where he would at least stop preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. While on this island, he had a vision. He was caught up into a vision, and he saw heaven face to face. He was like there and that kind of thing. He saw this, this vision, and here he describes it in Revelations 5. It says, the one, now listen to this, kids, because I'm going to ask you a question about this. The one, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, see the lion... Of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. What does he do as the little lion? Triumphed. Anna, take your candy. Did you catch that? As a lion, he triumphs. The lion of the tribe of Judah 
has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. What does Jesus do as a lamb? He is, as the lion, he triumphed. He rose from the dead with all power and all authority. As the lamb, he was slain. He went to the lowest part and laid down his life completely for us. He is both. It's not either or. He is both and. Full of love, full of power and glory as well. So let me just, now this, if you're youngish, you might struggle to follow along, but let's, let's try here. There was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Anybody have ever heard of Saul of Tarsus? And he later became known as what? The Apostle Paul, exactly. Um, in case you don't know, the kids staying in is requiring us to do more of this kind of thing. This isn't like the normal way we do it in Sunday. I don't know, maybe we should start doing this. Maybe we would learn more. So, so anyways, there was this guy, Saul of Tarsus, uh, who later became Paul the Apostle. Historical figure, again, right? Just like Jesus, real person. Regardless of what we believe about him, he was a real, factual, actual person. Whose ministry of starting churches in southern Mediterranean Europe is what kind of created the framework of the spread of Christianity that you and I are a part of down to today, right? So, this actually did happen. Not that he single-handedly did it, but this man went around and started churches, and one of which was in a city called Corinth, where he spent more time than he did in any other city where he had planted churches. And in this city, or to this church in the city, he wrote a couple letters called epistles. And in the first one, he's writing to these people. Now, I want you to understand that he's, he's not writing some theological doctrine treatise. I mean, he is, but he's actually writing to his friends. His, his, his people that he had shared life with, right? Here's what he says to them. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died, this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, according, uh, for our sins according to the scriptures, verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to, listen to this, Cephas, who's, that's just another reference to Peter the apostle, Cephas, and then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers. Who are we talking about here? Who appeared? Jesus, right? Jesus appeared to Cephas, to the 12, to 500 or more of the, of the brothers, he says, and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Paul, when he says that people have fallen asleep, he didn't like to say that they died, and that's because he knew that they weren't dead that if they had received Jesus, that they're still alive. They're very much alive. So he, he chose to say falling asleep, but that's what he means. Some of them were actually still alive at the writing of this letter. People who had claimed to see Christ resurrected. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also. So six groups of people that he mentions there, all of whom who had claimed to have seen Jesus when he resurrected. Cephas or Peter, um, the twelve, five hundred or more brothers and sisters, James, other apostles, and Paul, right? You following? Let's ask this question. Peter the apostle was crucified upside down for preaching in the name of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Crucified upside down, killed. Gave his life completely. Left his livelihood of fishing. Left his father. He risked it all for the sake of the gospel on the basis of his belief that he had seen Jesus risen from the dead. This was another historical person, right? 
This is not, this is not fable or fairy tale or legend. This is actual historical people. That what you believe about it is one thing, but we know that the, this person actually exists, and he was killed for what he believed in. Do you think it is possible that he could have been killed for that belief, that he had seen Jesus risen from the grave, if it was not so? Answer honestly, not your church answer. Do you think that that's possible? Could have been true, right? He could have. Anyone believe it could have? No one believes. Man, we are just Bible-believing people in here. Intellectually, is it even within the realm of possibility that Paul, yeah? How? How? Anyone have any idea? No one has any idea. Aaron, come on. Yeah, like a, a... What if he gave his whole life to following Jesus? Man, you were put on the spot because, I mean, this is like they were about to hurl stones at you. You, you evil person for even thinking this. <laughs> I felt bad for you. I, put, I threw you on the bus. So what if, so now the pastor's going to be the evil guy. What if he gave up his life three and a half years, he left everything to follow this guy Jesus, put all his eggs in the Jesus basket, only to find that Jesus died, wouldn't there be a temptation to maybe just want to believe that it really didn't end in failure? Maybe he could have made up a story, right? Yeah, right. So he, had the, he, was, he was fallible. So, so Peter, maybe he could have, but it is a compelling story that he gave up his life for this belief, Right? Again, let's bear in mind historical people. Hold on. So, okay, so there's Peter, but then there's the second group of the 12. 12 actual historical people, real people, who also, most of whom, also were killed for preaching in the name of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And they all claimed, all 12 of them, that they had actually seen him alive after he died. Is it possible that not only Peter, but all 12 have been wrong. Is that possible? The odds are getting slimmer. There were 500 plus real people, some of whom were still alive at the writing of this letter, who were spreading this idea or this story that they had seen Jesus resurrected, two of whom are recorded in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Simon and Cleopas, who were on the way to Emmaus, right after Jesus had died, they were pulling themselves off the ground, so depressed that Jesus had died, and he appeared to them. And there were 500 others who were actual people. So Paul couldn't write this letter to people that he knew about other people who were alive who could verify this story, unless there were actual people who were actually telling the story that they had seen him alive. So is it possible that Peter was wrong, the 12 were all wrong, and they gave their lives for this belief, and there were 500 others, and James, and other people who were called apostles. Now, let's, the clincher for me is this. Actual historical figure, Saul of Tarsus, he was persecuting Christians. He was, he had it made. He was well-educated. He was a Pharisee. He was zealous for the Jewish faith, and he saw Christians as being an enemy of, of his beloved Jewish faith, and he wanted to kill them and stamp out this movement called Christianity. 
Actually, it wasn't called Christianity yet, but, but he wanted to stamp this thing out called the way. He, w- he had it made. He wasn't needy. He was well-respected amongst his people. He claimed, this is not fable legend, this is actual historical truth. He claimed that as he was going to persecute Christians, many of you know the story, that he had an epiphany or a, a revelation, an actual encounter with the resurrected Jesus, knocked him off his donkey and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And to which he replied, who are you, Lord? It was a couple days later that he got baptized in the name of Jesus and spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel, telling the story of the encounter that he had had with the resurrected Jesus, preaching that Jesus is the Messiah, the resurrected king, doing signs, wonders, and miracles, being beaten time after time, almost to death, and ultimately most people believe that he died. He gave up everything, and he didn't make a whole lot of money doing it. So you explain to me how that happened to that man, if it didn't actually happen. You explain to me how this happened to Peter, to the 12, to the 500, to James, the other apostles, and to the Saul of Tarsus, if it wasn't real. Excuse me? It is, it is, it is a strong case from a purely intellectual, historical standpoint that, that this actually did happen. At the end, we've got three options. And you may have heard these before, I don't know, but either all of these people we just mentioned were liars. All of them were making up a lie. And I'm, I'm not, like, being cute. Either all of them were making a lie, or all of them were loonies, lunatics, or maybe a mixture of both, some being liars, some, some being lunatics, seriously deceived, which means that you and I sitting in this building today is a product of people lying or people being seriously deceived. And we are wasting our time mega. Right? I mean, shameful what we're doing here. Right? If it's a product of a lie or lunatics. Or Jesus actually really is the resurrected, the Lord of lords. King of kings. The real thing. So, if... Jesus is resurrected, and he is. Let's delve into two things that that would mean to us today. Is that okay? The first is this. A six-foot bunny rabbit wearing a waistcoat and a top hat gives us candy every year. That that went over like a lead balloon. (laughs) That was supposed to be funny. What's that? No, that was not a question. That was a really pathetic joke. Anyways, but the good news is this. I'm actually rounding it down to one thing about the truth of the resurrection of what this means to us. Jesus Christ crucified as the lamb, resurrecting in power. The, 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 the clincher, the, the, the substance of what that means to you and me today is that the same power that raised him up from the dead, is available to every single person who is following him. Now, the Bible says to all who believe, but I want to substitute that with following. Because tell me if I'm wrong, you can't put your faith and your trust in a person who is leader, who is Lord, if you're not following him. Am I right? So the two go hand in hand. For all who are following him, if my life is following his will... I have access to his resurrection power to, for everything that I walk through. That fuels my ability to do whatever he's called me to do. Not fueling my ability to do my own thing and put a label of Jesus on it, 
to follow him, give my life to him, and if he did what he actually, the, the history would record that he did, and for why he did it and raised from the dead, I can gladly give my heart, my life, my kids, my wife, my everything to him and entrust it to him, to follow him. So read, read with me another, other words by this man named Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul. He wrote this to the Ephesians, the church that he had planted in Ephesus, and he tells them what he has been praying for them. He says, I pray for the eyes of your heart. Um, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And I want to pause right there and ask, can we right now take this into our own heart that what Paul prayed for this church in Ephesus, you and I would receive this today. That the eyes of our heart would be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and listen to this, his incomparably great power towards us who believe or who follow. His incomparably great power, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I can testify today that the reality of what Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus is real. And that though I haven't gotten it right every time, I can testify at the age of 17 when I received Jesus, uh, not as a result of being in an atmosphere like this, completely separated from that. I never heard what we know of as the gospel. I just simply knew that I, somebody had talked about having an actual relationship with God, and I knew I didn't have a real actual relationship with God. And all I knew was that Jesus said, seek and you will find. And so I went to him saying, Jesus, honestly, this was the prayer. Lying on my bed, 17, not a church boy. You understand? Lying on my bed, I said, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to know I'm seeking that. You said if I seek it, I'm going to find, help me to find it. That's all I knew. As I was praying that prayer, the Holy Spirit began to reveal to me what the gospel is. Again, not because anyone ever shared it with me. I'd never even heard it. But I began to understand little bits and pieces I had heard throughout my life that if I repent or that Jesus went to a cross to pay for the punishment for my sin and that I need to confess that I need his forgiveness. And so I just began to do that. To confess, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I repent. I don't even know. I started trying to confess all the sins that I did. The list became too long. I, I was just, I'm just a sinner. That's, that's all I know. I just need your forgiveness. As I'm praying that, I begin to, I'm sensing the presence of God more and more as I'm, as I'm making that prayer. And as I prayed that out, it was like this next step became so clear to me that not only did he die on the cross, he rose from the dead and that he's now Lord. And so I began to say, Jesus, you are my Lord, and I receive you as my Lord. I give my life to you. And again, no preacher taught me how to do that. Nobody. Not, nothing like that. Never. I didn't know what it meant to be saved or born again. Nothing like that. And I began to pray, Jesus, I give my life to you. And in that moment, I received him. And from that day forward, I can testify, he changed me. And I know it was him. Like, I know it's been different ever since. I've experienced so many things. And every time as he's led me, 
and I've actually been willing to follow him, I have seen his power working through me to bring about his purpose in the earth. My friends, the greatest tragedy in this earth is the church going astray from that one. I mean, those who are not yet followers of Jesus, they're already sheep gone astray and and, and we love them, and Jesus loves them, and we're called to reach them and love them. But the greatest tragedy also is the church going astray. He is the greatest thing it, that we have access to. There's nothing in this world that will ever trump being with him, following him, going where he's going. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I can't think of anything that I would rather have than the power of God, the one who created all things, that brought Jesus up from the dead to be working through me. Can I ask us to respond <clears throat> this afternoon? And I don't do this often, but can I ask you to close your eyes? Close your eyes, and I would like us today, because I, I, when it comes to following Jesus, let me make something clear. Following Jesus does not mean being a regular church-going person. I certainly encourage people who follow Jesus to be a vital part of a local church, but it, the, w- w- they're not one and the same. Following Jesus is something that alone happens in the recesses of your heart where no other person can come in there and do anything about it. It is between you and him. And as we're celebrating the resurrection, as we're celebrating what, what he actually did, I want to give an a opportunity for us to make a decision. Even if you've already made that decision sometime in your past to follow him. Or, or maybe you haven't ever done that. In either case, to make a decision that you want to follow him. And as a, as a statement of your faith in him, I'm going to ask you, not in front of people, but to stand to your feet and to respond to him, place your faith, make that declaration to him that you belong to him. Let his resurrection power reside and lead you in this life. Go ahead and do that right now if you want to do that. doesn't mean that you're doing it for the first time. just means that you want Jesus to be your leader. Just keep your eyes closed if you would. I know... I'm going to ask Kurt just to, to, to lead us in a song, but as we do that, I just want to ask that, you res- that we make space for God. We shared last week, I think it was, about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit wants to touch us. He wants to do something. I just don't want to rush through the agenda and not give space to the, allow the Lord to actually do what he wants to do in our hearts. So for those, for those responding, I just encourage you, just as it was with me, simple, at the age of 17, simple, pure, not, not religious, just being real with God, you just do that exact same thing right now. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to lead you in even how to pray in this moment. Just respond to him. Declaring who Jesus is. He is the resurrected Lord with all power.
And he wants to extend that power into your life through you as you follow him. Just make a choice to follow him.